about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Hi, I'm Catherine. The second reading is from Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. That's Luke 19, 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He is going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of God. Hello again. We are continuing this evening our series entitled Overflow. Uh, We've been thinking about the radical generosity of our God, uh, his life as Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, eternally trading love and life and light, abundant with life in and of himself that overflows to us unnecessarily. Last week we thought about him as a, a God as a creator and that he's not a Uh, stingy, you know, just do what you need to sort of create, but an abundant, creative, wise, manifold, uh, you know, incredible creator. Uh, And today we're going to start our journey thinking about, well, how how is it that when when we experience the generosity of God, we become big, uh, open-hearted, joyful, generous people as well? And it's really interesting thinking about, well, how is it that then we become, uh, as part of this overflow, uh, and, and become like our God in this way? I, I've been thinking a little bit about our culture and a little bit how uh, we try and tell each other to be generous. There's a bunch of different ways we do this, but when you get down to the nuts and bolts of the logic of why we tell each other to be generous, I think there's two paths we follow. One is the, the path of Peter Singer, the great Australian 
uh, philosopher who wrote this interesting book that you can download for free, like I did. That's how stingy I am. Uh, it was a really interesting book about ending uh, poverty and uh, uh, really rational arguments. He's a utilitarian philosopher and wants to argue for how we can end poverty really easily. And he's very frustrated at how, why people won't just accept the rational uh, reality of poverty and just act on it. In fact, he's very scathing. This is from a while back. He might be as scathing as he was here, but here you go. The failure of people in the rich nations to make any significant sacrifices in order to assist people who are dying from poverty-related causes is ethically indispensable, indefensible. It's not simply the absence of charity, let alone of moral saintliness. It's wrong. And one cannot claim to be a morally decent person unless one is doing far more than the typical comfortably off person does. Singer's approach to getting us to be generous is to say, well, you just should. You have a moral imperative to just be generous if you see the reality of the world in front of you. If you actually experience the reality of poverty daily, you wouldn't be able to help yourself. So that's, that's one argument in our culture, just this moral imperative, a must that's put upon us as wealthy Westerners. At the other end, I think, is the wellness reason. And that's that if you are a more generous person, if you can find out a way to be more generous in your relationships, with your money, etc., you'll be happier. It's your best life. And so be generous as a way of looking after yourself. It's really interesting looking at these lines of logic, this moral compulsion argument and this kind of wellness, look after yourself argument. And as I look at both of them, uh, it makes me realize how different the New Testament is when it talks about generosity, how fundamentally different it is. Yes, the Scripture talks a lot about uh, giving as something that God commands to us, in fact. And yes, being a generous person will probably make you happy uh, because it's the the way you were made to be. But these aren't the source of a generous life. This is not ground zero of how we are to understand a life of overflow. As I read from one person this week, the foundation of giving is the grace of God. And as we look at Zacchaeus today, and we see the the transformation of this man, we see that it was not moral compulsion, nor was it uh, seeking his best life, but an encounter, a radical encounter, with the God of grace in Jesus Christ that led him into a radical new life. So really simple today. I want to look at Zacchaeus, we'll look at Jesus, I want to look at what happens as they collide with one another. First thing we see is that in Zacchaeus, in this passage, we see a human self curved inward. That might sound like a really strange Phrase, but it's a phrase used by Augustine and Luther and Kierkegaard to describe the reality of the human self in sin. That though we have in a, live in an abundant world made by a magnificent God, we have this propensity to curve in upon ourselves. Martin Luther, the great reformer, says, Scripture describes man as so curved in upon himself that he uses not only physical, but even spiritual goods for his own purposes, and in all things seeks only himself. That's a radical diagnosis for what we are. And it's the reality we see in Zacchaeus today, in this strange man we meet on the road 
in Jericho. Jesus enters Jericho, kind of a, a, a port town where people came in and out of lots of money and goods changing hands. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Very short description, and Luke doesn't need to describe more to a first century audience. They know exactly what this man is like from those very few words, but we need a little bit more. Tax collectors in the ancient world were notorious because they collected money for Caesar, and they put a little bit of cream on top for themselves as they collected. So they got money through cheating people out of their money and over taxing. And now, uh, Zacchaeus is not just a collector, he kind of runs a syndicate. He's a chief tax collector. He's over everything happening in Jericho, which means he makes all the other collectors get a little bit of cream from him, from every person across the city. He's a lovely little kind of mafia boss. Uh, someone in the morning suggested he sounds like a bit like a Bond villain or something like that. Uh, and we know he's good at what he does because he is wealthy. Now, if you were someone in Zacchaeus' position, you both cheated people personally from their money and were considered a complete traitor to the Jewish nation because you worked for Rome. And as we hear later in the passage, he is considered a sinner. He is considered morally reprehensible. He is an outcast. He probably has been cut off from all his major relationships and is very much alone in life. He's a social pariah. Which begs the question, why get so involved in this tax-collecting business when your life becomes so shipwrecked? And the answer is that Zacchaeus, like all of us, curve in upon ourselves. We find something good that God has made, and we lay all our treasure in it. So Jesus says in Luke 6 that where uh, your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or like we read from uh, Luke 16, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other, but you cannot serve both God and money. Here's what happens to the human self. It curves in upon something like wealth and lays all its trust and treasure in it. And by curving in upon that, no longer gives glory and honor and thanks to God and only finds itself. And it gets caught in this cycle of inward turning away from God and away from others and ends up in a position like Zacchaeus is in. You see, the reality for us as we start to think about living this generous, big-hearted life that God has for us is that the roadblock to it for all of us is something in our heart, something we treasure in our heart, something we serve in our heart, Luke 6 or 16. You know, often it's, uh, we don't live out a generous way of living in relationships because we prefer our own comfort. Or we're stingy with our money because we prefer the control that the money gives us. Or we just want to feel secure in life and make sure we have enough and we're not feeling like we ever have enough and so we hold off. Friend, be honest with yourself. What, it, what is it for you that holds you back what is in your heart you treasure like Zacchaeus that holds you back from the bigger life that God has for you? As we read on about Zacchaeus, uh, we see that he wants to see Jesus. Jesus is coming by. He might have heard stories about Jesus' friendship with other tax collectors, which he became well known for. 
And he wants to see him, but the picture we get in three and four is that he just can't. He's one too short, vertically challenged. And he also tries to run up a sycamore fig tree uh, and tries to see Jesus. But the picture is that he re- Jesus is inaccessible to him, both because of his height. And even though he's desperate and gets up a tree and can get a good view of Jesus, Jesus is a distance from him. Uh, spatially in the passage, it's like Zacchaeus is very much stuck. Stuck because of his height, but really stuck because of his heart. There is no way out of a curved-in self. And that's why what happens next is so important. Because we see in Jesus then, we see God radically coming to seek and to save. You see, this is not a story about Zacchaeus seeking out Jesus. This is the story about Jesus seeking out Zacchaeus. Jesus is the one who takes all of the initiative in this story. Everything that happens is from his action and his command and his power and who he is. And so we see Jesus walking along the road in verse 5, and he gets to the exact spot. Don't you love the way this story is told? He gets to the exact spot and looks up to the exact position in the sycamore fig, which were quite leafy, so you couldn't really see through them, and calls Zacchaeus by name. Calm down. I must stay. I must stay at your house today. Jesus takes the initiative to personally seek out Jesus And this idea of being at his house is not just for a fleeting visit, but he wants to lodge there. He wants to stay in Zacchaeus' house for his Jericho road stop. And I love this must that Jesus has. I must stay at your house today. I have come here, Zacchaeus. I am in Jericho to lodge in your presence. Now, as soon as this happens, and it, the, uh, Zacchaeus comes down, welcomes him gladly, and goes with him to his house. And uh, we're supposed to kind of uh, see that verse 7 and 8 happens a bit later as the meal's happening, perhaps. As, the, as the, the word gets out about Zacchaeus. And people see what's happening, and they begin to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And we start to get the picture that what Jesus is doing here is radical, It is unacceptable, in fact. Last time I preached on this passage, I felt like we were such a distance from this type of culture, we mightn't get it. But I think now, with cancel culture, we are much closer to understanding what's happening in this text in some ways. Uh, We now live in this age where if you are associated with someone who has a clear moral failing or is on a particular side of an issue that's unacceptable, your very association with them colors you with their guilt. And so companies and people are forced to distance themselves from people who are morally reprehensible in various ways. That's how honor-shame cultures work. You have as much honor or as much shame as you, as you have as the people you are connected with have. And so by Jesus lodging in the house of the most reprehensible person in town, he is declaring himself some, somehow to be in relationship with him, somehow for, for them to be able to be acceptably with one another. 
And because of who Jesus is, it's not just that he's saying that he can be in Zacchaeus' presence, but that God himself wants to lodge in the presence of the most reprehensible sinner in Jericho. Jesus' action embodies the radical, gracious activity and hostility and welcome and forgiveness of God who personally seeks out the worst he can find to gather them home. So Jesus declares in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Jesus declares him not a sinner but a son and a son of the promises of the patriarch, of all the promises of God, a share in the household of God's people, a true Israelite belonging to God's purposes all the way back to Abraham and all the way through. And we think, well, that's because he repented and because he gave lots of money away. But Jesus says, no, 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 for, what's the reason? Because the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The reason why salvation comes to Zacchaeus' house today is because Jesus has lodged in the house. The reason why Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham is because Jesus has come to welcome him home personally, presently, fully forgiving, graciously, and radically. This is the story about the radical hospitality and generosity and graciousness of God because inwardly turned selves are stuck under judgment and in their own sin. And so Jesus comes to seek and to save. And friend, if you are in church today or if you're on the live stream today and you're thinking, I don't, uh, uh, you know, if Jesus knew me, he would not lodge in my house today. If Jesus knew uh, how bad a Christian I am, then he would not want anything to do with me. If Jesus knew my failings, he would want nothing to do with me. But the Jesus you see here is the same one who today calls you by name. He's the same one who came to the world to seek and to save you. Because the reality of our curved-in selves is that we don't just need a command. We don't just need a better life plan. We need to be saved. We need to be rescued. We need to be found. And in Jesus, God graciously comes to us recklessly, extravagantly, and magnificently. And this is where the center of an overflowing life begins. In encountering and knowing that gracious activity of God in Christ. It is the radical generosity of God which turns us outwards. That's what happens to Zacchaeus. It's in the verse we skipped over. Uh, as people are muttering about him, Zacchaeus stands up and says to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of Anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Did you notice the bit in the passage where Jesus commanded Zacchaeus to deal with his money problem? It's not there, is it? Do you notice the bit in the passage where Jesus commands anything ethically around Zacchaeus' life? 
The only thing Jesus commands of him is to get down out of that tree and take me home with you. What happens to Zacchaeus, his radical decision about his wealth, uh, magnificent and big as it is, the, 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 the turn inside him happens because of what? Because of his encounter with Jesus. Because Jesus wants to go home with him. Because Jesus sees him somehow as being able to be with him and in God's presence and forgiven in some incredible way. What happens for Zacchaeus is a, it's a thank offering, an expression of a changed heart. The, uh, the two words I noticed this time I read this passage this week that I've never seen before are the first two things that Zacchaeus says in the passage. Look, Lord. Look, Lord. As if all of a sudden Zacchaeus has come home to his real master. Money is no longer his master. Jesus is. And his eyes aren't on the, the amount of, in his money box. His eyes aren't on his debtors. His eyes aren't on anything. But Jesus, look, Lord. And then what does he do? He gives uh, half of what he has to the poor. He doesn't have to do that. He just wants to. He says, I'll repay anyone who I've cheated four times the amount. He doesn't have to do that. He'd have to do something above what he'd uh, cheated according to Jewish law. But four times? It's reckless. It's extravagant. It is totally unnecessary. It is all overflow. From someone who is so radically shocked out of themselves by the grace of God that they can't help themselves. It's an incredible picture we get here. This is the picture of generosity in the New Testament. Of a people who have so encountered the extravagant promises and salvation offered in Christ that they're just reckless, recklessly generous in ways they don't need to be in ways they just can't help themselves being. And so what we're being summoned to tonight is to just get our eyes off ourselves and onto Jesus. You know, if you're in church tonight, and, and the main way you think about your giving is, uh, the main thing you have in your head is the guilt you feel about not giving enough, if that's you tonight. Get your eye off yourself. Get your eye on Jesus. If for you this evening, you're just consumed with worry about where your money's going to come from next and you feel like you're never going to have enough, let alone anything to give, get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes on Jesus. Because a life of generosity doesn't come from pursuing more deeply in ourselves, uh, laying ourselves with guilt or pressing more deeply at the lines on our account or money statement. It comes from experiencing and encountering the radical generosity of God to you in Jesus Christ. And I think all God wants for us today is to be a little bit more desperate for it, like Zacchaeus was. Zacchaeus, who, like a little kid, ran along and climbed up a little sycamore tree just to, just to get a glimpse of Jesus. All Zacchaeus brings to the scenario is a little bit of desperation. And maybe that's where we need to be this evening. Owning the fact 
that we have curved in on ourselves. That Scripture's diagnosis is correct. But the answer is not in us. The answer is in the salvation one in Christ. And maybe we need to come a little bit more desperate to God today to say, I need more of Christ. I need to encounter him afresh. I need to know again that people like me can come home and have a place at the table by his blood. Jesus Christ, who had everything in heaven, yet came down from heaven to find the Zacchaeuses of the world. And yet the reason why he can is not in 19, but as the chapter continues, he ends up in Jerusalem. And things go so badly in Jerusalem that he becomes the greatest outcast, better than, bigger than Zacchaeus ever was, strung up on the cross, having his last possession stripped from him. It does not just end with him on the road pointing to tax collectors. It ends with him on the cross, bearing the shame of our guilt and the wrath of God, that we might no longer be curved in, but radically curved out. It's when your heart, by God's Spirit, starts to sense how radically you've been won home by him that you'll start to move outward in generous grace. Let me pray. Father, we just want to own today the reality that we see in our own hearts, that we are curved in. Curved in upon our own selfish needs. Curved in upon good things that have got too big in our own hearts. And we recognize today that, that what we actually need is just to be saved and rescued by Jesus. And what we need is not more of us, but more of him. And so we pray by your spirit this evening that we would sense in our hearts the radical welcome you offer to us in Christ. And we would feel secure and safe in him with such abundance of love and grace that we recklessly move outward in overflow. We pray this in his name. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.